she lives with this. She tells me often, Jeff, you do too sometimes, Robert, that's extreme, okay? So Susan will listen to me verbally process, God bless her and help her, and then she'll just gently say, well, that's a little extreme, and then she'll continue listening to my extremities. But I envision the worst possible outcome. Do some of you do that? I saw a lot of hands. You, I mean, what if I wreck the car? What if I lose my wallet? What if the preacher preaches a poor sermon? And we just need some balance, don't we? Some perspective. You know, if, if you wreck the car, get a new one. If you lose your wallet, get a new one. If the preacher preaches poorly, send them to Hawaii for a seven-week sabbatical. Am I right? So we, like, the worst possible outcome. And let, can, we, we've talked about this every week, and I say it again today. Fear is on the rise. You know, when we first met back then, those years ago, there was no Amber Alert. There wasn't America's Most Wanted. There wasn't Columbine. There wasn't color-coordinated threat levels. Uh, we didn't have to take our shoes off at the airport. Fear has been heightened in the world which we live in. And it is, we're seeing, heightened in so many of us. We get seized by it. And some of us just need to learn. I think it's part of following Jesus and part of my role as a pastor. And it's hard, it's easier to preach it and harder to live it. But, you know, an acorn has fallen on your head. It doesn't mean the sky is falling. So go tell that to the rooster, the goose, the turkey, and the duck. We need to hear that, don't we? So that's a little bit about fear. Henny Penny. Some of you love to open your Bibles that you brought or have in the pew. Joshua is the book to turn to today. We'll read from Joshua 1 and later from chapters 3 and 4. It's so good and so ennobling, I think, for us to focus in on this, that it's not just enough. It, we don't serve a God who just says to us over and over, 366 times and some auxiliaries, saying to us, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. That's kind of like telling a guy, don't lust, don't lust, don't lust. Like there, there's a better way. There's a better way. And, you know, you'll always follow lesser loves if you don't have a higher love, okay? 
Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is my strength. When I'm experiencing his joy, I can fight temptation. Sin doesn't look as inviting. Fear is not as compelling. So we serve a God who doesn't just say, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. As Susan read, as you followed along, in nine verses in this ancient story, God says, have courage, have courage, have courage. Jeff, we a couple years ago went to a conference. It was all about being brave. And we need courage. We need to be a people that aren't just trying to dutifully obey, do not fear, but where we walk and live in courage. I've said a few times from this very platform that we were blessed to go to Israel. We did a Holy Land tour, and it just rocked our world, wrecked us, being a pastor, being in ministry, loving this book, and seeing the places. And 98% of our tour was just that. It was historic. It was ancient. It had to do with Jesus. We were here at this river, the Jordan. But our second to last day, we toured some modern Israeli history. And we went in, very soberly, we went in to the Holocaust Museum. And can I tell you, I mean, that's just, it's beyond words. And some folks put up some money for that museum. Can you imagine? You can just think about it, imagine that. I mean, some folks, we, we built two nice ones here. They are nice, but this one, I mean, words again defy me. And as we walked through, we were reminded of some history. And I was reminded of our country because I kept thinking, what about us and what about where were we? And and some of you may know this story, it's well documented, but in 1938, fear, fear swept a whole continent of Europe. And you know why, right? Hitler's Nazi regime. And it was so pronounced and so early in this that many Jewish people from Austria and Germany sought to, be, sought to immigrate to the United States. Political polling at the time showed that 70% of Americans were afraid and did not want Jewish people to enter at this time. We didn't know what we didn't know. But a ship called the St. Louis sailed into the port of Miami a year later in 1939. And due to fear on our part, we, allow, we did not allow them to disembark. And over 900 plus Jewish people had to return to their country of origin, most of whom died in a Nazi concentration camp. And I think of that story and I think, where do we need courage? Like, where do we demonstrate fear? And fear always closes us off. Have you noticed that? When you fear, you love less, you're less open. And we need real fears. We need smart policies. But when are we not following after him and when do we need openness? And so this morning, I want to give three points and it's what we're going to talk about. Three points, and I'll just put them up on the screen right here. The courage, you and I need the courage. By the way, everything has a starting point. Everything has a starting point. And God uses a woman or a man to start something. And they have to go first. In the books we read, like we're looking back retrospectively, right? We're looking through the rearview mirror and we're, we're learning about the men and women of the Bible and other places. But they didn't know what they didn't know. And they had to act first. And we need the courage to act first. We need the courage to do the following. The courage to step out when it's easier to stay put. The courage to stay put when it's easier to run away. And the courage to get help when it's easier to act okay. I want to talk about the first one. 
the courage to step out when it's easier to stay put. We see this in the life of Joshua. God tells Moses, he says to him, take the initiative, go first, show the way. Has God called any of you to leadership? Do any of you young people aspire to lead? God's tapping you on the shoulder and saying that very same thing to you. Take the initiative. Go first. How hard is that? Show the way. And that's sometimes what cripples me, right? I can take the initiative. I can go first, but then others are watching to see how it went, right? How did, how, how, uh. And there's God on the banks of the river. And God says, go first. Take the initiative. Show the way. And what? often seizes us are a series of questions like these. Anybody experience this? What if I fail? What if I look foolish? What if God doesn't come through? And the banks of the Jordan River represent life on the sidelines. Last night I was doing a long run and I was listening to music, random assortment, probably every genre. And I listened to a theologian, Brad Paisley, sing this. He said, here I am knowing that the best thing I got going is gone. Now, you know it's a country song, right? If it's singing about lost love. And look, I bet everybody in the room has lost something. I bet everybody in the room has a regret. But that's life on the sidelines. You're knowing that the best thing you had going is gone. You had an opportunity, and if you're not careful, you're going to miss it. Hear me now. There's an opportunity. God's calling you to lead. And so the river represents what's dangerous. The banks, it's what's safe, okay? It's it's when you ask those questions, what if I fail? What if I look foolish? What if God doesn't come through? And he's saying to you, take the initiative, go first, show the way. But the banks is that safe place where if you're not careful, you're going to miss an opportunity. But the rivers, the water that's dangerous could be for you. It could be a major interview. It could be a big proposal. It could be um, a candid, necessary, difficult discussion that you need to have. It can be a new leadership role. It can be a large financial commitment that God is calling you to. These are the dangerous waters. And so what we need is the courage to act. C-T-A, the courage to act. A lot of people, have you noticed this? Uh, Jeff and I have a saying that um, a lot of people have opinions. Everybody does. There's some quotes about that that you can't say in church. But everybody's got opinions, right? And some of us have insights. And I would even say that a lot of people have insights, but it's the people who have the courage to act that God uses. And to add to that from the story of Joshua, it's people that have the courage to act first. C-T-A-F. The courage to act first. God says to him, go first. And in that act of going first, it's difficult, isn't it? Some of you know what I'm saying. It's difficult. There is two things. There's uncertainty and there's impossibility. Now, show of hands, how many of you love uncertainty? Like you just, man, you love not knowing what's next. You just, the unknown, man, that just, that just gets you excited. Anybody but me? Okay. Look, there's others. Listen. You do love some uncertainty because without uncertainty, there wouldn't be surprise birthday parties. You wouldn't get butterflies. There wouldn't be mystery and romance. So now how many of you like some uncertainty, right? 
But what you don't like, what I don't like, is negative uncertainty. Friend at the 930 called me this week. He's my age. He's got a big cancer diagnosis. Didn't see it coming. This guy is chiseled. This guy has never had anything wrong with his body. Like we don't want the unpleasant. We don't want the unexpected bad things. But there's this unknown, this unexpected. And here's what I want to say, man. You can't, you can't read this and avoid it. Like at every single turn, God calls people, leaders, to go first, to take the initiative, to show the way. And time after time after time, he's asking them to walk into uncertainty. That's the river. And no matter what it could be for you, it's uncertain. You don't know the outcome. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8 about Abraham who came before Joshua. It says the following. Susan, can you read that when we put it up? We're frozen up there. There we go. No, not the, uh, Hebrews 13, 8. I'll tell you about it as we're looking for it. It's Abraham, and God calls Abraham to go. Abraham was the first person that God said to go. He tells him to go, and Abraham, it's said in Hebrews that he doesn't know what's, what's going to happen. And that gets the best of us uh, for the most part. So here, God tells Joshua to go, and that, that's Joshua chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, I believe. simple but I want to say it at some point you got to get started there there is a point when you have to take the step overcoming the inertia is what physicists would say but you have to take the first step the courage to act first Joshua do it Abraham do it Paul Y'all know Paul. We preach about Paul a lot. Man, he coined a lot of the sacred writings, and he was a church planter. Aren't you glad? Like, Paul went to all these places. And in Acts 20, it tells us that he was in Miletus. And in Miletus, we don't know a lot about it, but he was safe. He was fairly comfortable. It was where he could stay and watch the sunsets and enjoy life. But he went to Jerusalem, and he said in Acts 20, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what's going to happen to me there. And so when we take the step, when we go into the waters that God is calling us into, there is uncertainty and there's also impossibility. If you only do what you can do, you'll never learn what God can do. And some of you, your occupation, and I called out some in the 930, I don't want to insult people, entire people groups, but like some of you, your occupation is to manage risk and to guard against fear and to manage resources and to be safe your job is to be a manager and that's cool that's how God's gifted you and gifted me that way but he's gifted a lot of you but if you only do what you can do you'll never see what only God can do when have you ever attempted something kind of crazy I'm glad that uh, we've learned this in our 
learning this, that there are times when you need the courage to step out when it would be easier to stay put. That was us seven and a half years ago. I felt clear calling that God was calling us to start a church. I didn't know anything. I didn't know the place, the name, or anything. But guess what? She wasn't ready. She wasn't sure about what God was saying to me. So we had some healthy discussions about it. And then I decided, hey, I need to give that to him. And I prayed a prayer from the prophet Amos. In Amos 4.3 it says, can two people walk together unless they agree? And so my prayer before God was that we would agree. That if I was being foolish or driven by something that was jealous or selfish or ego-laden, that she would be the one to help me check my spirit. And that God would push pause on this. We needed to walk together. So for me, seven years ago, it was a corner office, a cushy job, a good paycheck. I mean, when you're working for church, you'll never be rich. But it was a good paycheck by our standards, and God was providing, and we felt loved and cared for and utilized. But in that, not for her, but for me, my soul was shrinking. I knew that God was calling us to something. And yes, I had to guard my heart. And yes, I had to check my spirit. And yes, I needed others to speak into this. But at every turn, even though circumstances were telling us to stay put, God was saying to us, take a step. And I'm so glad that we did. We went to Atlanta to a church planter's preliminary thing. And there was a couple that looked at us and asked us, her in particular, hey, starting a church, what would it do to your family and how would you answer that
And one of the results, when you take a step, when you display the courage to step out when it's easier to stay put, several things will happen. You'll experience God's power. I'll never forget when that couple was at our house and four of us were in tears as a man decided to come clean and come to Jesus. And a lot was at stake for a whole family. And that Sunday, we got to baptize him. And I remember Susan looking at me during that baptism, and she said, someone else was baptizing, and she said, aren't you glad we didn't stay? You'll see his power. You'll experience his power. You'll also expand your capacity. I love doing this in the 930. Susan, read Joshua 3, 10. Uh, yeah. It's the word of God. Read it. Yeah. Good. I think you did fine, sweetie. Here's the point. Don't make your wife look bad in front of hundreds of people. That's one point. The second point is this. Look, they went to the promised land, but it wasn't just milk and honey and ease. Are you with me? Like, God was saying, hey, you got across the river, like you took the first step, you, you took the initiative, you went first, you showed the way, and oh, by the way, look who's over here. And they knew that. They knew that. But all these folks, these funny tribes, by the way, they were larger in number and they marshaled better resources. And we have such a warped view of God. Can I just say, this is our God? You cross a river and he's got other things waiting on you. And that's what happens. God, you experience his power when you have the courage to step out. When it's easier to stay put, you experience his power. But you enlarge your capacity because there's more to come. God wants to use you even more. I remember when we started Fondren Church and some of you were around. I'm looking at Bob and Martha and a bunch of you. But we started the church and we were a, a hip, cool church in a bar. And we, we were a Sunday night church. So a lot of people would double dip. They would go to their real church on Sunday morning and then come to the church in the bar on Sunday night. And I remember I stood up and I was kind of making, I had very little consultation at the time, just relying on my own um, lack of wisdom. And I walked to the front. I remember as I was walking from the front row at Dueling Hall to the stage at the little beautiful auditorium over there, I remember thinking, am I going to make this announcement or not? And I stood up and turned around to our people and I said, hey, we are, uh, in two weeks, we're going to go from Sunday night to Sunday morning. I could see everybody that was married turned to their spouse, single people that had roommates or good friends turned to their roommates or good friends, and they were all like calculating. And what I was seeing in that moment, in my mind, I, I heard everybody saying, oh, okay, well, we're not coming back then. When they go to mornings, we're not, we're not coming back. And so we lived in fear. Yeah. And so we lived in fear for two weeks, right? She trusted God. I lived in fear of like when we become like an actual church, and get into the normal Mississippi family rhythm of church life, will we be legit? And will these people come back? Or is it the night thing that they liked? And so look, we stood in the parking lot, and God was opening the door here. But I knew, and I've always wanted to be a church where we're large enough to have an impact, small enough to care. And this is a big old place. And I had fear standing in that back 
parking lot one thing after another and we're about to come up on seven years I really believe this is cliche forgive me I don't throw a lot of cliches at you but I really believe the best is yet to come and I'll be there's so many other and God is just merely enlarging our capacity I was with black pastors and white pastors I'm one of those and we were praying this week Van and Daniel were there with some people at Jackson State and I really believe the best is yet to come he'll enlarge your capacity and you know what else he'll do you experience his power, he enlarges your capacity, you'll inspire others. Susan, read some easy passages from Joshua 4. And then verse 23 and 24 of chapter 4. All the peoples of the earth, that's us. We're part of that. We're not entirely that, but we're part of that. When God does something and he wants it to be remembered, look at me, it will be remembered. And when you, if you're the leader in something, if you take the initiative and you go first and you show the way, you will inspire other people. We got a note of all notes a couple of months ago, and it was from a person, a couple who have also planted a church far away, the much more heroic thing. What we did was easy in many ways. They did something really difficult. And they wrote us to tell us that when we went first, it inspired them in their time to go first. And that's what will happen. All the peoples of the earth and your children. Like, I want to live in a way that my children want to follow Jesus. And look, I don't have much longer left. I don't know when God, you know, when my ticker stops ticking and he calls me home, but I want my kids to see a dad who didn't always play it safe. So sometimes we need the courage to step out when it's easier to stay put, and sometimes, tell them the Wesley story. When I was having a bad moment in year one or two of Fondren Church, I was sitting uh, at a bar, not a bar, I do sit at bars, but I was sitting at the bar at home, the kitchen bar, are you with me? The kitchen bar. I didn't want to be a hypocrite in front of all of you. I would never go to a bar. Hey, I just saw him at a bar. Uh, I was sitting at our bar in the kitchen, and Wesley, who was seven-ish at the time, had the habit of taking a shower in our back bedroom, and he would wrap a towel around him, always good, but he wouldn't dry off, so like he was wet and partially naked with a towel wrapped around him, and he just walked through the house, and he slapped me on the back as I sat at the kitchen bar, and he goes, I'm proud of you. And I was pretty sure I heard him, but, you know, he reversed the order. Isn't that what dads say to their kids? Like, you can't reverse that. Like, you can't be proud of me. You can't. I'm supposed to be proud of you. That's how it works around here. And that's what he said. And I, I needed clarification because I'm really insecure. And I said, what, you know, he goes, I'm, you know, Farner Church. Good idea. I'm proud of you. <laughs> and can I tell you, he was at the 930, by the way. But can I tell you that I needed that? I needed that, and that's part of it. So courage to step out, 
when it's easier to stay put, but the courage to stay put when it's easier to run away. Johnny Cash has a song that I love. Y'all know I dressed in all black last week. Now I'm quoting Johnny Cash, right? Johnny Cash had a song, I'm the running kind. And he says, I was born the running kind. When I walk in the front door, I'm looking for the back door, where I hope is an exit door, because I'm the wandering kind. So the goal is not to run. Look, Joshua, if you know his story, and some of you do, 50 years in the promised land, but 60, he was an old man, but 60 was lived in preparation for the promised land. 20 years as an Egyptian slave, 40 years carrying the clipboard for his mentor Moses, a personal assistant to Moses. I'm going to say it again, said it last week. Young people, do you have a mentor? Do you have somebody that you're serving and learning from? And that was Joshua. So he didn't just like go around crazily crossing rivers, and I don't want you to. He waited God prepared him, he learned, he was tested, and then he was ready to cross those waters. But he didn't just run. Here's a great scripture, Proverbs 17. And keep that up. Let that sink in. Like that last part. A fool's, excuse me, a fool's eyes wander to the ends of of the earth. Women, you don't want to be married to ladies, single ladies, you don't want to be dating a guy with a wandering eye, do you? You don't. Kick him to the curb. But our eyes wonder, Solomon is saying here. We wonder like it's always the next thing. I'm the running kind. I just, you know, it's like and look, sometimes the courage is staying where you are. There's a phrase, some people think it's in the Bible, it's not. But the phrase, bloom where you're planted, the bloom is a verb. It's an action verb, like make something beautiful. Where you are, like where you are, planted, firmly rooted and established. And so for some of you, the courage to stay, and this is now true for us. You could have something to do with this, okay? But we believe God is saying to us, stay. We believe our best days are ahead of us. And we've had an opportunity, knock, a friend call, an elder from another church in a city we like. We talked briefly. We never entertained it seriously. And we knew in that time, hey, God has called us to be here. Uh, How much can you pay? Okay, yeah, we're going to stay here. No, I'm kidding. Uh, We believe firmly that God has called us to be here. And if we're ever tempted to run, we're not going to do that. We want to stay, and we believe for a good stretch, for a good season, there's unfinished work here. And for us, we need to be brave enough. We need to have courage to stay put when at times we want to quit or we want to run away. And we have a few minutes. I want to make, I don't want to, I don't want you to miss this. The third thing is the courage to get help when it's easier to say you're okay. Deuteronomy 34 9. Now, Joshua. Son of Nun was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid hands on him. Like, I want to be involved in a touchy church. I don't want that to be creepy because not all touch is good. And I'm not trying to be funny here because it's not funny, but all touch isn't good. And some of you know the pain of being violated, or it could be your sin. 
of touching where you don't need to touch. But in Scripture over and over again, when God calls out a man, there's touch. A laying on of hands. And notice it's a prayer of wisdom. Why? Because Joshua was a man. He was limited. He could be prone to sin and poor choices. And he needed help. Joshua knew he was in a battle. And what's inflicting so many of us is we don't know we're in a battle. We need each other. Do you know the Bible was not written to individuals? If you believe that, say amen. The Bible was not written to individuals. It was written to churches and cities and nations. And here's the message of the Bible. God is a father. He has sons and daughters. And we are brothers and sisters. And do you know in a therapeutic age where we run to a therapist time and time again, God is saying to us that we are underestimating the healing power of Jesus and the help of the church. So hear me, hear me. In this age of be smart, capable, and self-sufficient, none of which Jesus is really fond of, we're living in this individualistic culture. And the Bible wasn't written to individuals. It was written to people, to churches, cities, and nations. But in this, when we run to therapy, therapy at its worst, you got you to hear all that I'm saying here, okay? Some of you already closing your spirits. Therapy at its worst is a Freudian, Freudian kind of victim's thing where we turn inward and listen. We're not trusting. We're blindly trusting a therapist and putting no trust in Jesus and his people. And we often go in to a therapist and we tell them everything because what? It's safe. And some of you have people who know you, who love you, who have history with you, who don't know what's happening deep inside of you. So I'm going to say it. Therapy is good. There's nothing wrong with seeing a counselor every week. As long as it's supplementing, not replacing the family of God. Do you hear me? And we underestimate. Here's what scripture teaches us. And we see it in these men. We see it in these people when they went to battle. They knew they needed each other. The laying on of hands, the mentoring, the speaking into. I need help. Can we talk? That's so valuable. And so the scripture tells us to show up, Hebrews 10, 25, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. Show up. Make this a priority. Show up and open up. And that's why we call you into community. James 5, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Comedian George Carlin said there's two kinds of drivers on the road. There's maniacs. Those are the drivers who drive too fast. And there's idiots. Those are the drivers who drive too slow. Do you agree with that? There are maniacs and idiots. And now we have texting. And if you live in Jackson, potholes. But here's the thing. Almost every one of you drive every day. Despite maniacs and idiots. We're both maniacs. And we see idiots on the roadway all the time. But maniacs and idiots there's distractions and holes and it's a bumpy ride but you drive because you know that it's necessary and church God his family is necessary it's why the scripture teaches us to forgive one another it assumes that you're going to be hurt it tells us to bear 
one another's burdens or to bear with one another, it implies that there are going to be some difficult people. But it's worth it to get help when it's easier to act okay. You hear me say often that we need to one another one another. Susan and I are never not in a group. And another thing you hear me say at least once every couple of months is every pastor needs a pastor. And she can tell you, man, I call my guys. I'm facing two decisions right now. I call my guys. Because I'm not the smartest one. And I'm very limited. And I can be blinded by things. And I need desperately to get help. And it takes courage. It takes courage to do that. And here's what I want to say to some of you. You're not getting help. And you're keeping a secret. And if you're a leader, can I tell you? You can't keep a secret. People find out. And some of you are leading and people, the brightest people around you know that you're compensating. And they don't know everything, but they know you're holding a secret. In Luke 8, 17, these are Jesus' words, not mine. Jesus said that everything that is covered up will be brought into the light. Everything that is secret will be made known. Everything. Like, that's true. And I've learned it, and I am learning it. It's why I want to be a part of a confessional community to say, here's where I've wronged, here's where I could go wrong, I need help. And that does take courage. Would you stand with us? Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning and this old story of courage. Would you bless us and give it to us? Raise up brave.